This morning, I'm going to talk about uh, the power of God. And, and if I were to take a poll in this room, I'm sure that every single person in this room, or a good portion of you, would say, uh, yes, I really, really desire to see the power of God, either in my life or in my myth, but I desire to see the power of God. Now, some of you would say that, but you'd be lying <laughs> because you really don't know if you want to see the power of God because you don't know what that looks like. You don't know uh, what that means. You don't know uh, what's going to transpire. You're afraid. There's some of you who say that you're not sure you want to see the power of God, or we could call them miracles. You're not sure of it because you've been hurt in the past. You've been hurt in another church. You've been hurt by bad teaching. You've been hurt by what you have seen that you have felt was not truly of God. That's understandable. But the problem is that when we allow those things to interfere, what happens is that we, we somehow uh, realize that uh, we're missing out. Well, that's what I'm hoping this morning you're going to realize anyway, that you're missing out on what God has for you. Because God is still on the throne, God is still in control, and God still desires to do things within our midst, within our lives, within our circumstances, within our situations. God is still able. Amen? Amen? He has not abdicated his position. He's not abdicated the throne. And he is, in turn, desirous of working in your life and in your situations. You may say, but what keeps us from that, I don't know. Sometimes it's fear and all, all number of things. But here's the reality. Sometimes it's just us that gets in the way. So, we look at miracles, and, and you've heard this before, if you've been in the church for any period of time, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. The, the, miracle, the, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. Why? Because it's, it's that whole aspect of what happens in our heart. You see, I can stand here this morning and I can possibly change your, your thought process, I can possibly change your feelings, but I can't change what goes on within your heart. And that's where God comes in. It was April the 14th, 1974. And I was going with this lady who sits now as my wife. I was going to a sunrise service to a Dutch Reformed church with a uh, spirit-filled, saved Methodist minister preaching that morning. What a combination, right? And I, and I, and so there I sat, I had no intention of giving my heart to Christ. We, we'd been attending a, a, a Pentecostal church for, some, for several months and, and, and because my present wife said that if I didn't go, she wouldn't have anything to do with me. So consequently I went, but I sat there that morning and all of a sudden I realized that what this person was saying about the second coming of Christ meant that If this was true, which I had to presume it was true because I'd heard it from the Pentecostal preacher, if this was true, then she was going and I wasn't. And at that point in time, I said yes to Christ. I asked for forgiveness of my sins and I said, I acknowledge Christ right there. Nobody prayed over me. I didn't go to the altar. There was no altar call. No one laid hands on me, but I acknowledge Christ as my Savior. And I'm here to tell you there was a change in my heart. How do I know that there was a change in my heart? Because my attitude was different. All of a sudden, I, could, I had read the Bible before, but now it meant something. 
Anybody say yes to that, amen to that? And all of a sudden, I realized that things were changing. Matter of fact, uh, two years later, uh, I walked away from the profession that I was engaged in, which was uh, you know, public schools, and, and I walked away and we started a Christian school. There had to be something wrong with me. <laughs> and after that, five years after that, then I stepped away from education altogether and I went to this thing called pastoring. There was a change. Something had transpired. So, you know, that miracle took place. And for many of you, it's taken place. For many of you in this room, it's taken place. God has, God has done a work in you, and that miracle has transpired. Amen? Amen. But God desires to do more. Yes, yes. He got, God desires to miraculously heal. God desires to intervene in your situation, whether it be a home situation, whether it be your finances, whether it be a job situation, whatever the case may be, God desires to do a work on your behalf. Why? Because He happens to love you. God is able and desires to do that. And it can be what we would determine as miraculous in nature. It was September of 2003. I had accepted a position at the network office, now it's called, rather back in my day it was the district office, but now it's network. Uh, I, I, I had accepted a position and in September of 2003 we were moving into a, our home that we had purchased in Liverpool, Liverpool area. Uh, the moving van was out front and they were moving stuff into the house and they were bringing in boxes and I had realized that there was space up over the garage that I could uh, pile some boxes in and so I said to Sharon, why don't we take some of the boxes that, you know, we aren't going to be using like Christmas stuff right away and I'll just put them up there and I grabbed the ladder and, and she was handing boxes up to me and I got to the place of where it was pretty full up there and I thought, nah, unless, I, unless I do more climbing, I'm not going to be able to really arrange things and so consequently I said to her, why don't you put the box that you have and put it back in the back of the garage and I descended and began to descend the ladder. And after that, I don't remember what happened. All I know is, from what I'm told, is that Sharon raced over to me, and I was lying on the floor on my back, mingled in with a ladder, and I was gone. She began to pray over me. She said, I heard the breath of life come out of you. She prayed over me. I kind of came to prayed over me in tongues. You can imagine what the moving people thought of her. She began to pray over me in tongues, and, and, and in turn, I kind of came to. They called 911. The, the ambulance came, and, and in turn, I was transported to St. Joe's. And once we arrived at St. Joe's, in turn, um, they were told, Sharon was told, that they were going to have to operate to relieve the pressure on my brain. And uh, they took me up one more time to do some, some uh, tests and in turn came back and said, no, we're not going to have to operate. Amen. Uh, I, was, I was then put in an ICU room and then I was put into a regular room and within one week I was out of the hospital Amen. with a uh, fractured skull, three places, and a broken scapula. scapula. For the next two and a half months, I, re, I, uh, I recovered. And there was a miracle right there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I understood that. 
in the beginning, but there was a miracle. I came to understand it when a, a family that we knew in, in New Jersey, he was, a, he was a trucker and he had had some, he had had some health problems and so consequently he, he had kind of stepped away from driving truck and, and he and his wife were out walking and we got word that he had fallen, he had tripped and fallen and hit his head on the road and died immediately. And I thought to myself, could have been me. If that's not enough, a few days, a few weeks later, we heard that a friend of ours, their brother, had, had in turn fallen again, and they'd hit his head, and he was a vegetable. Vegetative state. That could have been me. But God. Is God still in the miracle working business? Absolutely. By the way, someone asked me after the first service, so did you have any repercussions? It, you know, the, only thing that I, the only thing that happened to me was I, had, I suffered an olfactory nerve, and therefore I, I don't smell as well as I used to. The person looked at me and said, that could be beneficial. I said, absolutely, it could be. But the, that's, the only, that's the only repercussion. And, and so consequently, I experienced a miracle. But the reality is God, God desires to do miracles in our lives, but we stand in the way all too often. What do we need to do so that in turn we can realize what God is doing and what God desires to do? And that's what I want to look at this morning. Because God desires to do something in your life. God desires to do something powerful in your life. God desires to do the miraculous in your life. The power of God. And so here's my goal this morning. I don't want you to be robbed. I don't want you to leave this place being robbed of what God desires to do within you and for you and in your midst. Amen. I want you to experience that reality of all that God has for you. I, I therefore turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua, the fifth chapter. And by the fifth chapter, what you find is that Joshua has, uh, has led the children of Israel over the Jordan River. The waters have parted, they've gone through on dry ground, and now they are camped by chapter 5. They're camped in the shadow of this place called Jericho. Jericho. You had to pass by Jericho to get into the promised land. There was no other way in from where they were stationed. They had to pass by Jericho. Jericho was one of the oldest cities in that area, in, in the Canaan area. Uh, Jericho also was built on an oasis, 840 feet below sea level. It was a, a six-mile area on which the city was built. Since it was an oasis, there was plenty of water. Water was more than sufficient. And if it was, it, for their protection, they had built two walls surrounding this oasis. The first wall was about 12 foot thick, they believe, and about 12 foot to 17 foot high. Then there was a space of about 12 to 15 feet between the two walls, and the next wall was 12 foot high, or 12 foot deep, and 30 foot high. So consequently, there was enough room on top of the walls for the, the army in that city to go on top of the walls and then to fire down on anyone who would attack the city. That's what Joshua realized after he had sent in the, tw the two spies to kind of check it all out. 
And they'd come back to him and they'd said, what you've heard is true. But then they told him one other thing. The people inside the city are scared. They're fearful. They have heard about what has happened to this point, and they are scared to death. Now, the next picture you see is you see Joshua out walking, taking a nightly stroll, maybe. <laughs> and he's out walking, and, and he draws near to Jericho, and all of a sudden he's confronted with this, with this man. And this man tells him that he is the commander of the Lord's army. Now, to set the stage for you, basically most theologians believe that this is what is called a Christophany, that this is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. It's like the fourth man in the fire, if you remember that. So, he is introduced now to the reality that what he is going to experience is not just a military encounter, it's a spiritual encounter. Now, what does all that mean, and what does that have to do with you? Well, here's the reality. God is teaching Joshua. He's teaching Joshua not just the military side of the, what's going to, what he's facing in the days ahead, and the weeks ahead, and the months ahead. What, what God is doing in Joshua is he's teaching him valuable spiritual lessons that he needed, that he must have if he is going to succeed in the task before him. But he's also helping him to realize that the God of all creation is in control. The God of all creation is in control of your lives. The God of all creation desires to do a precious work in and through the situations of your life. You are in a battle. Did you know that this morning? There are people sitting in this auditorium. I know that you're in a battle. You're in a battle for your spiritual well-being, your family. The, the enemy of your soul desires to destroy your families. The number of times that I've stood at this altar and I've had people come to this altar and say to me, I am, I'm riddled with, with anxiety. I'm anxious about everything. I'm fearful the number of times that I've heard that is overwhelming. And here's God who desires to do great and mighty things. So how do you get a hold of that? That's the question. I would suggest four things that I see in Joshua. Joshua, the fifth chapter. Here's what I see. Number one. I see, number one, that first of all, what, what Joshua did is he defined the need. All too often... We don't know what the problem is. I've had people come to us at this altar and they, they say to me things like, well, I need prayer for healing. Really? What is the problem? Oh, I need prayer for healing. But what's the, what's the problem? And then as we've begun to pray, I've realized that there is, a, there is something going on deeper than just the physical healing that's, that's causing the problem. We have to define the need. For Joshua, Joshua was defining the need. That's why he said in the spies. He didn't send in the spies because he didn't believe God or anything of that nature. He said in the spies to define the need, to determine what the need was. And so when those spies returned and told him about those walls and told him about what was happening within the city, now he could begin to understand 
It's going to have to be God. It's not going to be me that's going to, 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 to get past this city. Can you imagine as he stood at the base of that wall, and as he's standing there, he's looking up at that wall, and he realizes, if that's 12 foot high, and the next one is 30 foot high, and it's 12 foot thick, well, how am I going to, in turn, get past the wall? Well, maybe I could, maybe I could climb the wall. That's possible. You know, we build some ladders, and we climb the wall. There's only one problem. Well, the... the People inside the city, they could be standing on the wall, firing down on those who would be climbing the wall. How many people would you have to lose? Well, maybe rather than climbing the wall, scaling the wall, maybe they could tunnel under the wall. Well, wait a second. There are two walls, a 12 foot wide, a, then there's a space of 12 to 15 feet, and then there's another wall 12 foot wide. So you're looking at what, 36, 37 feet you're going to have to tunnel through? That seems a little impossible, overwhelming. Well, how about, how about, we, well, how about we starve them out? I mean, heavens, we could just starve them out. Here's the, the reality, number one, they, they wouldn't starve them out, they would have plenty of water, that, would be, that, was, that was taken care of, but there was also the reality that people lived outside of the city and they would come flooding into the city if the city was under siege of any kind, and so consequently, wouldn't they bring in everything that was needed? Hmm. Maybe we could you know, take a, a rampart or something that would, we could somehow get through the wall itself, but the reality is that the houses in, in the city, the, the, the land area was so small that the houses were actually built into the wall. How do we know that? Because when we read about Rahab, the one who had taken the spies in and hidden them, she lived in the wall. Can you imagine Joshua standing at the foot of the wall, looking at that wall, thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? How are we going to possibly overcome this obstacle? Because we have been told to go into the promised land, but how are we going to get there unless this city is defeated? Well, the reality is that he began to realize his need. And you and I need to begin to realize the true needs that we have we need to be honest with what really is the basis for the problem. Whether it be physical or anything else, what is the need that we have that needs to be addressed, that, that God only can address? Pastor, Pastor David Young Cho of the largest church in South Korea, now he is deceased, but, but his statement was this about prayer. He said that God does not answer vague prayers. And how many times do we, do we pray vague prayers? Save so-and-so. Save them. What do you expect out of them? Heal? Heal me? What do you expect him to heal you from? He says, he says God doesn't answer vague prayers. Why? Because vagueness means that the person does not really know if the request has been answered doesn't even know the request. And in turn, God does not receive the glory. 
Because what we're really talking about is, when we're talking about the miraculous happening, we're talking about the power of God in actuality, it's God's glory. It's God's glory that's at stake. Well, you can imagine here, here is, here is Joshua looking at these walls. So what are your walls? What are you confronted with? Is it your health? Is it your family? Is it your job? What is it? What is it truly? Be honest with yourself and be honest. You're coming to the place where you need to be honest with God. This is what my problem is. I don't lose weight because I don't stop eating. I have problems on the job because I'm a complete idiot on the job. My finances are terrible because I spend too much and because I don't keep a, a budget of any kind and I have no idea how much money I have. But I don't know how to take care of those things. But God does. I'm anxious all the time, but I don't know what's causing the anxiety except for possibly everything that's happening in my life. And we begin, begin to name them. Well, that's the first step. The first step we've taken is, is to, to kind of assess, kind of understand the need. Well, the second thing is we need to be open to the voice of God. Are you open to the voice of God? Are you open to hearing from God and what God has to say? I mean, as I look, as I read chapter 5, verse number uh, 13 of 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 Joshua, I read this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? What a question. And here's the answer he received. Neither. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And what happens to Joshua? It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Speak, Lord, for I am listening. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua came to grips with the fact that not only was this a sacred moment, not only was this sacred place, but what he was about ready to engage himself in was sacred in nature. It was, it was spiritual in nature. Folks, if we call ourselves believers, what we are engaged in is a spiritual warfare. Your kids are at stake. Your very being is at stake. Your families are at stake. Your spiritual well-being is at stake. You say, you're awful loud about that. Yes, because I'm serious about it. There's a battle raging. And we need to be open to the voice of God because God wants to speak. Will he speak? Absolutely. Does he speak? Absolutely. And the problem is many times what he says, you don't want to hear. And I don't want to hear. We don't want to hear it because it's going to rock our world, because it's going to make us change, because it's going to, it's going to say to us, things have to be different. 
Okay, so what does he, what is, what is this commander of the Lord's army tell Joshua? First of all, he tells him that well, this is what we're going to do. You're going to line up your, your fighting men. Now there are two million people sitting on the, uh, on the, uh, on the Jericho side of Jordan, and there's two million people. He's got an army of about 600,000. And, and God says to Jericho, here's what you, God says to Joshua, this is what you do. You line up your, your fighting men. There's going to be a, a front guard and a rear guard, and you line them up, and in between them there is going to be the priests who are going to have horns. There's going to be seven of them, and then there's going to be the, the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priests, representative of the very presence of God. And then you're going to march. You're going to march around the city. You're going to march around the city with the, with the horns blaring, but you gentlemen who are fighters are not to say one word. You're to march, march around the city one time. Now, just this is a side note. This is a little added addendum. Doesn't cost you a bit more, okay? Here it is. If there's six acres, this is what I read. I didn't figure this out, but there's six acres. And, there's, and they, they move, the army, total army of 600,000 moves at about three miles an hour. They can cover that around the outside of the city in about a half an hour. Okay? Now, if that be true, then it takes them a half an hour to go around the city, and then they do nothing for the rest of the day. There they sit. So you're going to ask your army to sit most of the day. But it wasn't just one day that they did this. It was day two, and day three, and day four, and day five, and day six. And then God says, and on the seventh day, Here's what you're to do. You're to line everybody up the same way you've lined them up before, but you're going to march around the city this time seven times. The, the, the horns blazing, people not saying anything, men not saying anything. They're going to march around the city seven times, and then, and then, now realize something, as they're marching around the city with 600,000 people, and you've only got six acres, they're marching around the city, and in turn, they're going to lap themselves. And so consequently, the city is going to be totally surrounded. Got the picture? They march around the city seven times, and then the, the, the trumpeters are supposed to make one blast of that trumpet, and in turn, the men, the fighting men, are to yell, to scream. What they scream, we have no idea. But I have to believe it's a shout of victory. Amen? It's a shout of victory because they are about ready to see God do a miraculous, powerful thing. Amen. And as they shout, all of a sudden, the walls begin to collapse. Can you picture that? The walls begin to collapse. Now, I'm here to tell you, it's not the blast of the trumpets, and it's not the shout that caused the walls to collapse. But the walls totally collapse. Now, God goes on. God says to them, this is what you're to do. You are to rush into the city. Remember that the city is totally surrounded. They are to rush into the city. Once they get into the city, they are to, number one, kill everything. Every man, woman, child, and animal in that city. They are to kill them all. Slaughter them. And then they are to take all the valuable things and they are to take it out of the city and take it to the priests. And finally, they are to totally destroy the city. They are to burn it to the ground. They are to totally 
annihilate the city. Those are God's directions. That's what God said. Now, can you imagine Joshua hearing that? Now, I don't know about any of you, but this is me. I can imagine me saying, but God, there is no buts. When God speaks, you do what he tells you to do. There is absolutely no buts. You don't question him. You don't ask him why. You do what God tells you. If he tells you in a particular situation to keep your mouth shut, then keep it shut. In a particular situation, if he tells you to, to, to go above and beyond your giving that you've normally been giving to the church or wherever, then you do it. You don't ask him why. You don't ask him how. You don't, that's not your problem. God has spoken. If he says to you, husbands, you are to ask for forgiveness, then do it. If he says to the wife, you are to be quiet, then do it. But you listen to what God has to say. Because what God has to say is truth. Everybody with me still? Somebody said, you, you, don't, you preach kind of hard. No, this is not hard. This is reality. This is the way it is. You do what God says. Now, what's the next thing you need to do? Well, the next thing, you have to be open to the voice of God, and then you have to do precisely what he tells you to do. Precisely. You do not vary from it. He has, lined, he has told Joshua how to line up his men. That's what Joshua is to do. He has told Joshua that, it, that this is the way you're to march around the city. This is what you have to do. Can you imagine those fighting men saying, this is ridiculous. What are we doing this for? What's going to be the outcome? You can't worry about the outcome. God has said it. You do it. And so consequently, can you imagine, this is, this is the reality. Can you imagine if they got to the sixth day and said, enough's enough, we're not going to march around one more time. Can you imagine if, that, if that's what happened? If, can you imagine if they had not marched around that city the seventh time, they would have never seen the walls fall. The city would never have been destroyed. That's okay. I could see some of your faces. And when I said that God directed them to kill everyone within the city, man, woman, and child, and every animal, some of you went, oh. And sympathy all of a sudden, compassion all of a sudden filled your faces. I could see it from here. But if he had not done that, he would have jeopardized his own people. Because his own people were vulnerable. And if those individuals who were pagans, who were, they, I mean, their practices were not acceptable to God whatsoever, and if that influence had infiltrated his people, what would have happened to his people? They had to be destroyed, totally and completely. But that sounds so humane. Why not take them and make them slaves or something? Because their presence in the midst of the people could have in turn compromised the people. 
Well, 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 what about all of the valuable things that were in the city? Why not take the, why? I mean, the people could have very well said, we did all the fighting, we deserve it. I mean, we're the ones who put our, our, our lives on the line. We should be receiving all the valuable things. And God's response is, but you didn't win the battle. You didn't cause the walls to fall. You didn't do anything. If you received recognition for it, then you would be able to say, I was the one who did it. And he says, that's not what's going to happen here. All of that was to go to the priests. We do is precisely what God says. But I don't understand. It doesn't make any difference whether you understand. Your ways are not God's ways. Your timing is not God's timing. God, in his perfection, knows exactly what must happen. You do precisely what he says. And finally, finally, you have to persevere. That's the cue, by the way, for the worship team. That word. You have to be willing to persevere. What if they'd stopped in the sixth day? Wouldn't have seen the seventh. What if they had not killed everyone in the city? They could have destroyed themselves. This was a spiritual moment. Now, the reality is, are you, are you good at persevering? I, I, you know, as I get older, I find that losing weight is really difficult. Amen? Really difficult. I'm not good at persevering, though I know it has to be. I go to a restaurant and I start counting calories in that restaurant and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. I want, I, I want. And then I pay for it. Because I, I, you know, I don't persevere. It was my birthday the other day, and we went out for dinner, and I'm, I'm eating all this stuff, and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. That just shoots that diet right there. Persevere. But that's okay. Some families don't want to persevere. Bailing out of relationships, are, it's easier. Some of you don't want to persevere with God, bailing out on God. Walking out of this place saying, I'm never going to go there again, that's easy. It's coming back and being challenged to follow after God. Getting rid of the anger that's in you, the angst and the fear and the anxiety, that's hard. But you've got to persevere. It's not the finances that are the problem. It's whether you are willing to persevere. If you're in school and, and, and kids in this room, if you're in school and you're, you're looking at, the, I don't want to persevere. I don't want to have to, to, to learn this. You won't graduate, but you won't even see the blessing that God has for you. Staying on the job, difficult? Yeah, persevere. This, this life that we live is a life of perseverance. And if we'll but persevere, then God is desirous and willing to pour out his blessing upon you. You want to see the power of God? Then in turn, you've got to be willing to go through the process.
because God wants to meet with you. God wants to undertake for you. God wants to provide for you. God has a plan for you. There's a single person in here that that is not true of. God this morning desires to, to save. I'm not going to have a, an altar call. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or to look up at me or anything else. I'm going to ask you simply to walk down to this, this altar this morning and meet with one of these altar workers and tell them that you're there because you want to see the greatest miracle in your life that you will ever see. And you're here this morning and you need a touch from God. There are going to be people standing at this altar and they're going to pray for you. This is not a time of condemnation or anything else. This is a time of where we are going to agree God, with God upon what you are in need of. Because our God is able that was a one amen back here. Our God is able. Amen. Our God is powerful. Amen. Our God is desirous of doing something special in our lives today. Our God has not abdicated the throne. Our God has not walked away. Our God is not silent. Our God is speaking. And our God desires to speak to you and to me. Our God is able. Our God is able to save. So if you're here this morning and you're not saved, before you walk out this door, there'll be people at this altar that are willing and desirous of praying with you and agreeing with you. Altar worker, the only thing I'm going to ask for is that you encourage them to partake of the course that they might become grounded. You're, you're sitting here this morning and, and you're... You've got such anxiety. You've got, you're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. God desires to meet with you. But I want to go back. Do what he says. Don't short-circuit anything. Do what he says to do. You say it's unnatural. It's, it's stupid. It's un... Do what he says to do. Why? Because he knows more than you do. So folks, are you ready? Altar workers, if you'd come, bow with me if you would. The rest of you who are there in your seats. When we invite people to come up, if you must leave, bless you for the rest of the day and for this next week. But we are going to have a time here at these altars where we're going to pray and we're going to believe. And we're going to trust God Trust God to speak. Trust God to work. Trust God for those situations. And God is able. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you are in control of every situation. You're in control of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you desire to speak to us this morning. You desire to work in our lives. You desire to take those situations in our lives and turn them around. You desire to do miracles, Lord. Lord, this morning we put aside those things that would keep us from receiving from you. The fear, the past, the anxiety. We pray. Lord God, as we put them all aside, we pray that you'll do miracles at these altars. 
we're praying that you'll do a precious work in hearts precious work in lives for that one or those who would sit in this auditorium and this morning they've not committed their life to Christ they've said no time and again but this morning you are you are speaking to them and you're drawing them I would pray that they would make their way to these altars that they would say to the altar worker pray with me that I might be saved Lord God have your way in this place Lord God, move by your spirit. Lord God, might you be honored. Lord God, it's all for your glory. It's not that we might somehow look good in your sight, but it's all for you, Lord. Might you receive all glory and all honor for everything that transpires here today. Thank you, Lord. The children of Israel marched into the promised land because the walls were down because they had heeded what God said. God was victorious. God received all the glory, and that's the way it should be. And this morning, we desire to see God receive all the glory for what he's going to do in lives right here this morning. May the Lord richly bless you. I'm going to ask you to come. If you desire prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to come right now. There are people here standing at these altars and they're desirous of ministering and praying for you. Don't leave here defeated. Don't leave here discouraged. Don't leave here overwhelmed. Don't leave here frustrated. Don't leave here anxious. But come and allow God to do His work. Allow God to speak. Be willing to, to have God speak into your life at this moment and in turn receive what God has for you encouraging you to come and watch what God is going to do. Come expecting. Come desiring. Come believing. Come because He desires to do a miracle. He desires to manifest Himself. He desires to manifest His glory. Jesus. If you deep desire to leave, may the Lord richly bless you this next week. But let's believe for what God is going to do. Amen.